welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Brick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while, because you're probably wanted for murder. I'm proud of you fellas. You all kept your head on a swivel, and that's what you gotta do when you find yourself in a vicious cockfight. Michael Preston. Did feel like a bit of a cockfight. Um, at times more than I thought it really should, have, but that's just kind of the weird thing about that football game uh, that we're going to talk about here. Welcome to the Coop Center Hour. Uh, after the narrow win over the Idaho Vandals, I am Michael Preston, as always. A great chat with Matt Brown of Extra Points coming up, like covering everything you ever needed to know. Uh, about realignment and how things look right now. And I know we keep talking about that um, on this show, but it really has, it, it's important if you're watching the state fan to keep talking about this because it's also just going to kind of be an undercurrent um, for a lot of the season. So Matt was generous enough to give us about a half hour of his time. Goodness, he was so thorough in answering all of our questions. And you're going to find out more than you ever thought you could know um, about realignment from Matt. We'll also talk to Tyler Hunt from Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Previewing the Wisconsin Badgers uh, ahead of the Cougs' trip to Madison this weekend and, and everything, as always, uh, with our Dunderhead of the Week. And ask Michael anything. A really loaded-up show for you. Uh, I, I can say that, <laughs> you know, I looked this up, and I think it's it's something like Idaho's only won that football game, the Battle of the Palouse, like six times since... Uh, the Hoover administration. And so about six times in the last 90 some odd years have they won that football game. And Wazoo scored less in this game uh, than in any iteration of the game since 1999. Uh, Offensively didn't look great. And I think it was so funny. We were watching the game with a friend who um, is not familiar um, with Wazoo, Idaho in the Battle of the Palouse and why I was getting so wrapped around the axle kind of in the moment. And, you know, it's just like, guys, it's going to calm down. They'll be fine. They'll come back. And I just kept saying, repeating to myself, this does not happen against Idaho. You <laughs> should not be having this hard of a time scoring. You should not be having, uh, you know, so many issues with Idaho being um, this overly motivated team to play. And I think... One thing I do want to touch on right off the bat is Jason Eck. You know, it, it's only one game, but the dude appears to have really energized and put in, um, you know, qu- quite a bit of, and I'm just going to say it again, quite a bit of energy into a team uh, that hasn't had it for a very long time. I at least casually follow Idaho football, um, and the dude had his players out ready to play and believing in themselves um, on Saturday and that the game was truly within reach, and it was for a while. Um but I will also admit that you know in, it's so easy to get caught up in the moment, and I do it all the time. We all do this about how um, you know badly the game went or whatever else. But I still also had this underlying feeling that it was just going to be fine. Like they were going to win that football game because at some point, at some point, the talent gap 
had to win out over the enthusiasm gap. And it doesn't necessarily happen between teams who are relatively like one another, um, conference peer-wise or, you know, whatever. But it does tend to happen with FBS versus FCS teams. And I think you see that, you know, an FCS team upsetting an FBS team is not at nearly as rare as it once was. Even back when Washington State lost to Portland State, it's not nearly as rare anymore. But, I, I and, and you see FCS teams take leads early in games. I think you saw UConn, who is still kind of muddling around as an independent um, in FBS for now. Uh, they, they took a lead over Utah State to start, and then... The talent gap. The talent gap all of a sudden takes over and Utah State makes easy work of UConn. And although Washington State never took, you know, easy care of the Idaho Vandals, there was at least you could see like this visible talent gap, especially defensively. I mean, you saw Washington State in the backfield so much in that game. They practically lived back there. Um, it You know, over half a dozen sacks untold numbers of tackles for a loss. Idaho could not run the ball particularly effectively. And Jason X coaching staff had to, had to you know, you, you had to live on the edge a little bit. And, you know, and again, when you play an FCF team, they don't have anything to lose. So going forward on fourth down at midfield or even further back from midfield, as they did a few times, there's just, there's no, there's nothing to lose there. They have, they have absolutely nothing to lose. So they're going to do it. So you got, you have to really play, and focus all the time because this team is not going to do any of the normal things you are expecting. But that defense appeared to be as advertised, especially Dan Henley. Jeff said this on podcast versus everyone, but that dude looks ready for the NFL right now. He is as athletic as any linebacker um, you've seen come through Washington State in a long time. And he looked exactly the part um, that you wanted him to look. Uh, defensively, I think everything is kind of where we thought they were going to be. They are ahead of the offense. Uh, the secondary looks pretty good. Um, you know, and again, I think Armani Marsh had a great game, unfortunately, outside of giving up two long passes on fourth down plays. And I'm pretty sure they were identical plays that Idaho deployed there um, on two fourth downs that resulted in those big plays. Um, so outside of that, he had a great game, but unfortunately those two things kind of glare out to me um, as really bad. So you see, and, and again, and Jake Dicker confirmed this um, on Tuesday when we were recording this, that Ron Stone was on a pitch count, basically. He was not, he was injured all of camp. They weren't going to put him out there for the entire game. So he played something like 23 or 24 snaps. He didn't play, you know, the whole game. He says he's going to be ready against Wisconsin, which is great. Um, but that they were that effective at getting past the Idaho offensive line all day without Ron Stone for most of the game is probably indicative of where this team is in terms of their strengths right now. Now, the other thing we can say, too, is that that is an FCS offensive line, and they were very clearly having a lot of trouble dealing with Washington State up front, and Brian Ward threw in some creative blitzes uh, as well to get pressure on Idaho. But that I, I think it still is probably a look into the future of what should be the strength of the defense, um, and that's everybody up front. You can't take too much from a first game again against an FCS opponent, but I, at least you know that that first glance at these guys is that they're the real deal up front. 
And I think the first glance at the offense is that there is a lot of work to do there. There is, you know, I'm still drooling over that touchdown pass to Dijon Stribling with a fake pitch. And then he kind of like, he is, you know, tight to the formation to start. He kind of like half blocks and just kind of slips into a hole in the zone. And Ward finds him easily. And then again, Stribling's athleticism takes over and he scores. That that is that is a wrinkle in Eric Morris's version of the air raid, whatever you want to call it. We're calling it the coup grade, but I'll, I'll we'll just call it the air raid. That's a wrinkle in his version of this offense that is is really going to be interesting to see, and I think it's really important as as Mike Leach's air raid did to an extent, but it's getting your best best athletes open in space, and it's finding a way for those guys to operate because in college. It's going to be a little bit easier in terms of overcoming a one-on-one matchup with a defender. Your best athletes are going to be able to do that better. Cam Ward looked a little bit lost at times. He looked not fast to make a decision. He's not the Cam Ward of lore from Incarnate Word uh, just yet, which is probably fine because you know we're talking about a guy in his first game at the FBS level. He was still granted playing an FCS team, so the game speed should have been a little bit uh, more normal, but he he just, he looks like a guy who needs some more reps. He looks like a guy who needs to be under, or not under center, behind center a little bit more and getting some more reps in this offense and getting a little bit more comfortable um, with his receivers. I was encouraged that Zion Nunnally looked good when Dejon Stribling came off the field for what I thought was a much more serious injury. I mean, he went, I don't remember what quarter that was in, but it looked like somebody had shot him in the calf from the press box and he just went down in a heap uh, and then came back into the game later. But Zion Nunnally looked good. Donovan Olley, Lincoln Victor all looked good. And I think, you know, kind of the important thing to remember from this game too, as we talk about, you know, Steven wrote a great piece on the website of nothing is as good or or as bad as it ever seems. And that is that Idaho's offense only scored 10 points. And they still needed three really fluky fumbles to A, one, score a touchdown. They scoop and scored on one of them. But then B, to stay in the game really at all. If Washington State can just run out the clock a little bit more on those drives instead of putting the ball on the ground so quickly, um, things probably look a little bit different and you feel a little bit better about this football game. Now, granted, generally here, we try to not take the perspective of, well, if X, Y, and Z goes differently, then you know you feel different. Well, because it didn't go differently. That is what happened, right? So you can't say, I, I, I have a hard time buying, you know, like, okay, if this doesn't happen, then X. But you at least probably feel a little bit better about how this result is if Washington State doesn't put the ball on the ground three times and Idaho recovers all of them. That is some abhorrent fumble luck. Like, it's it's, it's really hard to have fumble luck um, that bad in a football game. So I, I think that's it's an important piece of perspective to look at when you're considering how this football game went. And I, and I will admit that, you know, like in the moment I felt... I, I, I didn't feel good about how it was going, but having the opportunity to think about it a little bit more and realize that like at no point was I ever really clenched up and assumed that this game was going to go badly. Now, granted, on that last drive, um, I might have thought differently, and I didn't love that it appeared when, they, when Wazoo got close to the goal line there late in the fourth quarter, they were really playing for the field goal. I really did not care for that. You need... This is 
college football. You need to play for the touchdown whenever you can in that situation. And that that was a situation where just punch it into the end zone and really and truly end this. You have Nakia Watson there who was just absolutely plastering Idaho defenders all day. Give him the ball and just... I, I don't remember the exact plays, but you, you, you need to get into the end zone there. Just get in the end zone. Don't play for a field goal. Okay? Because when, when you're that close to the end zone and on the hash like that, or if you're going to play for a field goal, at least run it into the middle of the field so Dean Janikowski doesn't have to like contort his body to try and kick it through the uprights. Okay? That, that's, that's kind of, for me, that's a little discouraging. Um, but that it, it took really and truly some high-variance stuff for this to even be a close game. But it still doesn't make you feel wonderful, right? So we'll see how this team responds. It's a win. It's a good thing. Take from take from it the good stuff that you can and forget the bad stuff because at least it's still a win. We're not talking about losing to Idaho for the first time in 22 years today. We're talking about them, yeah, having some trouble with a team that appeared to be very motivated to come out and beat them and was convinced they could and almost did. So let's move on from that football game and look at a Wisconsin team that is very good, was picked to win the Big Ten West, is always very physical up front, and you're going to go into a pretty hostile environment in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and get probably the truest test um, in non-conference play that you've gotten in, in quite a long time as to the quality of your team. I mean, BYU was... Very good last year, but still, you're on a, for lack of a better term, you're on a short week after you fired your coach on a Monday for that, and most of your offensive staff. So, this is going to be a really big test for this football team, and I think especially offensively. Can you move the football with any regularity at all against a defense that Bill Connolly's SP Plus thinks is the fifth best in the country? Wisconsin's offense is always going to be ground pound and occasionally Graham Mertz is going to throw a pass. That's always going to be the case there. So you need to do a good job. And one other thing I want to mention, you need to do a good job of getting off the field. The defense needs to get off the field. They spent way too much time on the field on Saturday. Now, this is partially because there were a lot of offensive three and outs um, and, and the offense didn't move the ball maybe as well as we would like. But... You need to stay off that field because Wisconsin is going to wear you down if the defense is on the field too much. That means long drives for the offense. It also does mean Wisconsin, and this is an advantage. I mean, Idaho went for it a lot because, again, if you're Idaho, you need to. you got nothing to lose. Wisconsin's not going to do the same thing. Wisconsin's just not going to do it. They're also in the Big Ten. They love punting. So that's not going to be the case. So another big point of emphasis would be the defense needs to be on the field a lot less. Whether that's getting off the field on third down or on fourth down or the offense just holding onto the ball longer. And I don't mean that because if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that like time of possession is not a thing that I love to focus on in terms of like who's going to win the game, but it is something I want to focus on in terms of who's going to be tired. And you cannot afford that against Wisconsin because it can be a close game for a while and if the defense has been on the field too long, you get to the fourth quarter, all of a sudden Wisconsin's going to run rough shot all over you. So, let's see how they do here. I'm certainly I I don't think I'm expecting a win. Don't ask me, you know, ask me again on Friday afternoon. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. This is a big test for them um, in non-conference play, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. All right, Matt Brown of the Extra Points blog. You guys need to subscribe um, if you don't. His newsletter is fantastic. 
uh, 30 minutes on realignment. You guys are going to find out more about realignment than you ever thought you could. This interview was so, uh, it, it provided so much perspective for me and provided a lot of really great information. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy it. I think you should. We will listen to my interview with Matt um, on the other side of the break. Back here on the Cougar Center Hour, it's our pleasure to bring in Matt Brown of the Extra Points newsletter. I am a loyal subscriber and I enjoy reading it so much uh, each and every morning that it's in my inbox at like 2.30 in the morning, which I am definitely asleep, but I read it first thing uh, when I get up, Matt. And I, I wanted to start out by publicly saying, uh, I actually emailed you to be on the show last week and I completely missed it because I was busy uh, making breakfast for my daughter that you would reply that, yeah, sure, let's do it uh, last week. And then I said, oh, okay, well, my fault. Let's do it this week. And it turns out the timing was probably a lot better given everything that has gone on just yeah. in the last week or so. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm happy I'm happy to do it. This is always the tricky thing about getting into the weeds for anything related to sports business or yeah. off-the-field stuff is this beat has stubbornly refused to chill out, even for a little bit. <laughs> As much as I think we would all prefer to do that, especially now where there's actual football to talk about. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, and I, I think it's just kind of going to be a constant, like, you know, yep. sub sub headline throughout, you know, however many months um, this all takes to resolve, which, and frankly, it might not be months either. Um, we'll start off, and I, I kind of want to work from, you know, the beginning, I think, at least of this summer, and then I'm going to try to keep things, like, as linear as we can here moving forward, but it's very difficult to do that. Um, sure. Texas and Oklahoma leaving... I think it's kind of fair to say was it was it was a surprise, but I don't think it was like totally shocking to a lot of people that, you know, Texas and Oklahoma would probably want to jump to the SEC, no matter the buyout consequences with the Big 12, which is something we'll go over in a little bit as well. Um, is it fair to say that USC and UCLA was probably a bigger surprise? And especially given the speed with which that story went from they've applied for membership to they are now in the Big Ten. Yes, um, I, and at least for, for me and, mm -hmm. and for many of my peers that I, I've spoken to, is much more surprising. The, the, you're right. The fact that Texas and Oklahoma tested free agency, I, I think that was part of the public consciousness for years. But the conventional wisdom was that it would happen next year. Uh, it would happen as you got closer to the end of the Big 12 television ar uh, arrangement rather than two or three years in advance um, and at the speed uh, that, that it happened. It's, it's mm -hmm. a little – it's difficult, although you know, clearly not possible, to keep those kind of conversations uh, secret without leaking to anybody. I mean Texas A&M, you know, their athletic director didn't even know about this, which goes to show how small the yeah. – um, the, the, the in the no party here. It's like I, I've talked to you know Kevin Warren. I talked to with the Big Ten who said for the USC UCLA decision until uh, you know prior to 48 hours before the announcement, there were like eight people uh, yeah. that knew, uh, which did not include most athletic directors in the Big Ten until like that Wednesday. The, the you're right, USC, USC and UCLA. Also, not surprising that USC would hit free agency. You know, their athletic director you know teased that really right after he was first hired. Mm -hmm. The timing's a huge surprise. That it would be the Big Ten is a little bit of a surprise, given what that does to the Rose Bowl IP and given what that did with the Alliance. Um, and to make that decision without going with anybody else on the West Coast, knowing what that will mean for their college athlete experience is, is a surprise. Um, mm -hmm. it, the, the next move, if the Big Ten makes another move, will not be able to be as cloak and dagger as yeah. their first one was. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that kind of dovetails nicely into you know what we saw last week with 
Brett McMurphy reporting that Washington had met with um, some Big Ten consultants. Again, I don't think Kevin Warren or anybody, you know, like super high up and important with the Big Ten was involved. Same thing with Oregon a couple of weeks ago. I mean, A, so kind of a two-parter. I mean, A... That's probably what happens at the beginning of these talks anyway. And these, uh, they, they can happen. I think, frankly, if Kirk Schultz, who's the president of Wazoo, is not talking to the Big 12, he's not doing his job. But B, these, and one thing I think you said in one of your newsletters a few weeks ago that really kind of has helped me, like, take a deep breath is college administrators are involved here. None of this stuff is going to resolve itself very fast. And they are going to be overly cautious with a lot of this stuff. So, like, rash decision making is not a thing when it comes to college administrators uh, at least not for this so yeah. you know, here, here's here's some information i can share and i wrote about this a little bit but like i, I can personally confirm uh both of the you know, both of those McMurphy reports uh, yep. i've talked to um at least one of the companies that was involved in, in those conversations so for for both of them with oregon and washington and as i understand it it's a different consulting company for each one it's a, they're relatively small meetings. You have a couple of attorneys on the, for the school side, a couple of attorneys on the Big Ten side. Um, they can they, this can be a mix of inside and outside counsel, and then the media rights consulting company. Mm-hmm. And what what typically happens whenever anybody changes conferences, whether it's the Big Sky or the Big Ten, is there needs to be a, a deck or a packet uh, to, that breaks down a ton of really in the weeds data. Uh, data for how does this impact television rights in the short term and the potential long term, but also data on where is the school's distribution of alumni and fundraising network right. relative to the, our, our, our peers? Mm-hmm. Um, how much are we spending on scholarships for women's soccer versus you know, in-state versus out-of-state? Who has adobo uh, for which sport and how does that line up with the rest of our league? And for a big sky school where television is not really a big deal, yeah. you can get one consulting company – uh, to do a lot of the stuff in, in one in one big packet, right? And I, I shared a couple of the companies that do that. Uh, Eastern Washington has has worked with a, a couple of those. A couple other big sky schools have done that, right? Yep. Um, Idaho it, it did this when they were considering um, eventually moving down to to FCS. At the Big Ten level or the Pac-12 level or at a gigantic P5, the amount of money is so big and these problems become so complicated that you generally don't have one firm doing everything. So there's a couple yeah. of companies that just specialize in television and streaming analysis. And they mm-hmm. have data and go into this in the weeds deeper than even ESPN does. And then it's pretty common to have similar meetings with like a, a Deloitte or a, a PricewaterhouseCoopers or some other you know big four firm to do have a similar meeting about finances uh, or, or, or about other levels. It doesn't mean necessarily that someone's joining the Big Ten. Um, and we can we can talk a little bit about what I know what, what presidents and ADs have told me on that side, but it is part a part of the process. And you're right, yeah. I would be surprised if somebody wasn't working on behalf of Washington State to have those preliminary conversations with the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, and I know this the fan base might not want to hear it. They've probably had somebody talk to Craig Thompson in the Mountain West too, yeah. just in case. Yeah. And I think well, well, I actually want to get into that um, actually after after touching on this next question too, because I mean that's obviously I think it's a concern for everybody um, at Washington State. You know whether it's the mountain, whether it's falling back into the Mountain West or the Pac-12 and the Mountain West just absorb each other and they, you know, they use the Pac-12 moniker or whatever it is. Um, kind of one thing that you know we've seen floated a lot um, um, is those four corner schools: your your Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado, leaving for the Big Twelve, and I think eventually down the line it might be a good option for them but kind of you know going back to what we were talking about there where 
these things move slowly. There need to be consultants involved. There need to be accounting firms involved in a lot of this. Um, I know there's that grant of rights and there's the TV deal. And we talked about this a little bit before we started, but it like it confused me a little bit from the standpoint of why would Utah sign on for 80 some odd years, but there's a lot of nuance there that's not... It, <laughs> it's, it's not easy to put on 240 280 characters whatever it is on Twitter right it's really really hard to drill down so like what kind of is the nuance there with the big 12 and these four corner schools sure so so here, here's what I know and I can say this is like I'm not super well sourced at all four of these schools but I, I do know people um, that that work high up on, on mm-hmm. some of these um, I think on Twitter we make a mistake if we assume that every single realignment decision is driven only and exclusively about broadcast revenue. Right. Um, Right now, one one of the questions that is both sides are trying to solve is how much money are we actually talking about here? Um, And you solve that, you get that answer by going through television consultants and by talking to ESPN and also by talking to some of the other companies that are going to bid on both Pac-12 and Big 12 rights. Mm -hmm. As I understand it right now. You know, given where we are recording, there are not completely finalized bids on the table for either league. You know, the Big 12 just went to market for like began the legal process to have those conversations with ESPN just last week. What consultants have told me and I know what what a few ADs in both leagues have have shared is the difference right now is not likely to be very significant. The per school distribution in the Big 12 is likely to be a little bit more, but not game changing more. Mm-hmm. And that then when well, you have that information, then that goes back to the holistic reason that you're in a league at all. Uh, part of that is what's unique about the Pac-12, and this really is not the case with the Big 12, and I'm not saying this to, to be a, to, as a pejorative, but the Pac-12 has a level of academic and institutional cachet that the Big 12 doesn't. Most Pac-12 institutions yeah. are similar kind of research schools. If you are at, uh, at Washington State and you're recruiting a chemistry professor, I promise you – You are reiterating the fact that you are a Pac-12 institution, (laughs) that you are a peer to Washington, you are a peer to Cal, you're a peer to Colorado. That's something that matters. For the Big 12, you know, there's there's really nothing that BYU and Central Florida and Cincinnati and Kansas State um, and Texas Tech all have in common, other than that we want to spend a lot of money and we care about football. If you're thinking like a university president – is that difference in cachet and also that difference in geography worth a, a, a pay a, a difference of six, seven, eight, ten million dollars a year? The answer is probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, as you guys know, it's much harder to travel from uh, the Pacific time zone to the Eastern time zone than it is to just be on a long flight and stay in the Pacific time zone. Yeah, which is you're going to have that cross country travel which hurts your athletes. In the, in the Big 12. So mm-hmm. um, as we're trying to game plan this, based on what I have been told, the preference among the presidents of all the four corner schools is to stick together. Yeah. If Oregon and Washington leave, or if Cal and Stanford leave, or if anybody else leaves, does that change the calculus? Absolutely. And of, yeah. of course, they are talking with the Big 12, or, or rather agents uh, that they are paid to represent them are talking to yes. agents. You know, to yes. Agents, right? Um, but it would be a major surprise and contrary to what administrators at those schools are telling me and telling my peers in the press that you would leave just because you think Big 12 basketball is better. Right. Um, it, and to make yeah. a little bit more money. Because because honestly, that, that difference is going to come out in the wash when you look at the travel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that – so that kind of, again, kind of gets nicely into a question of, you know, like we talked about earlier. I think – 
And I said earlier, like, Kirk Schultz isn't doing his job if at least somebody for Washington State isn't talking to Brett Yormark and his reps for the Big 12, right? Like, that's, it's a huge mistake to not be doing that. And like you said, not talking to the Mountain West either. Like, I completely understand, you know, like, we need the game plan for everything here. There, yeah. I, 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 this is just what Wikipedia says about the endowment, so take it for a grain of salt. But Wazoo, you know, again, when we're talking about academics, they have a really good sized and, you know, um, endowment. They have lots of money coming in. They're a good academic institution. Um, it seems reasonable, at least to me, and again, some biases here, that they are a decent fit with the Big 12. So what, and, and Oregon State somewhat is too. So is there an appeal for these schools to be in the Big 12? Or again, am I just letting my crimson colored glasses kind of color my vision on that a little bit? There, there, there's a little bit to it because un unfortunately your academic profile, um, the value of that depends on who's buying it. Right. So, so again, to think back here of a, a league like the Big 10 or the Pac-12, where most schools already share a particular kind of institutional identity. Um, then that matters quite a bit because you want to you want to maintain you want schools that that maintain that footprint. I think it would be the same thing in the West Coast Conference. All of those schools are private. Um, most of them have similar budgets outside of Gonzaga. They're all religious institutions. Um, or they, would they be willing to roll the dice on somebody who's a little bit worse athletically if it fits in that profile? Yes. For the Big Twelve, there is no profile, so mm -hmm. there's no real point in trying to maximize academics or maximize your 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 carnegie research designations or your grant money when you're bringing in schools that really don't do research um and aren't top 200 institutions that have different goals um you don't, you don't really get a league bonus if 30 percent of your league is in the aau it's either almost everybody or nobody mm -hmm. so the, the the thing here the, the the driving impetus is what helps us competitively and what helps us financially yeah, and the the, the I'm, I'm not saying this is impossible, but the struggles with both Washington State and Oregon State is that they are both really rural. They're not bringing not only access to a large television market, but they're not really bringing access to large television outside of that immediate market either. They're not in cities that have gigantic corporate headquarters. Um, you're, you're, and so the mm -hmm. e even knowing that there's an engaged audience that cares about both of those things, it doesn't deliver finance finances the same way that the Arizona schools or the Colorado schools sure. do. And they're not competitive with football and men's basketball at the at the same level either. No one's going to add Oregon State because they want to be a better baseball conference. That's not how the, the money of this works, knowing that every other school that you add also potentially diminishes the per school distribution for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think that that frames it really nicely. For, I, you know, I like to think that we're, we're a peer academic or, you know, whatever institution. But, yeah, to your point, the Big 12 doesn't really have um, that profile. I want to move to the Big Ten TV deal. It's a lot of zeros attached to either a seven or an eight at the beginning, and I think at that amount, it doesn't really matter when we're talking seven, eight, nine billion dollars. Um, I think what really stood out to me, Matt, was the length of the deal. It was only, I believe, it was seven years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Seven or eight years. And that actually surprised me a little bit, but then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and it seems like they're trying to get to market again before the SEC. So how significant, I, you know, the money was always going to be the money. I don't, you know, and I think when the details hit, you know, the media, like everybody was very surprised by the money, but I think we all kind of knew it was going to be around that amount anyway. We were all going to be gobsmacked by it. How significant, I think, more significant is the length, is it not? That they are going to go to market again before the SEC is, and 
they have NBC signed up, so they have a maybe a better chance to get Notre Dame into the fold before um, they do that again? Well, I mean, on, on the, the, the length of time isn't a, a major shock. I think the, 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 uh, the era of a major, any major conference signing a 10-year-plus deal is over. Yeah. And a, ma- a major part of that, although, yes, the Big Ten was certainly motivated to want to get to market before the SEC and before the ACC go to market again. Mm-hmm. But they, um, there's also this, 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 this uh, acknowledgement here that the broadcast media industry is, ch- is undergoing enormous amounts of change. And even if you sign a, a, a really strong seven-year deal, which, which, which is what this looks like, um, how important linear broadcast cable is versus streaming versus pay-per-view versus other changes in consumer behaviors can't only really be predicted. So you want to give yourself as much flexibility as possible mm-hmm. in case the industry changes a lot in four years, five years, and you have to pivot. You know, This is one of the challenges, I think, with the American Athletics deal, um, which which – it's going to be pretty under market <laughs> by the time that contract is done because they signed it. That was for so long. Um, the amount of money wasn't super surprising to me. The length of time wasn't super surprising to me. I have not talked to any industry people that I trust that think that the NBC factor really significantly changes Notre Dame's calculus. Mm-hmm. They're really happy. Notre Dame, I'm told, is really happy that NBC is doing this because they think it will drive more uh, subscribers to Peacock, which will you know still host an exclusive uh, Notre Dame game every year. That it will help with some of their spillover ratings, one way or the other. But it's not likely to change their membership affiliation because Notre Dame isn't independent because they want to maximize money. They're independent because that's part of their institutional identity. And as so long as the college football playoff lets them be independent, mm-hmm. they're going to be independent. Um, I the one thing I, I think I will know that's significant about the Big Ten deal though is that I think it's pretty anti-consumer. Because yeah. a lot of Big Ten basketball fans are not going to have to pay for stuff that they didn't have to pay for before because a lot of basketball is shifting from being available either at BTN, which is on every linear cable package in most of the country and certainly everywhere in the Big Ten, um, or on ESPN to now going behind a Peacock paywall. And that's not just the November tip-off against Alcorn State. That's going to include some meaningful conference games too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it must be nice to have your network distributed um, widely. Wouldn't know what that's like out here. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a, unfortunately one of the problems. Yeah, yes, it is. And, I, and we could get you know into the I, – I could spend hours talking about all of that um, good jazz. But I think one thing um, – so you know, I think we all know that like obviously most advantageous – and I'm just going to call it the Pac-10. The Pac, For the Pac-10 now is that Oregon and Washington are happy enough to stay put. So – if you are George Klyavkov, and I kind of, you know, like imagine yourself as him, what is your pitch and what are you kind of hoping for out of this deal? Because I think, you know, there was there was an advantage for the Pac-12 in that ESPN wasn't involved in the new Big Ten deal, but it's also a disadvantage that so many networks were involved. So ESPN has some, you know, they, they have some uh, want to basically to have those late windows, but... They know they're probably the only bidder unless the Pac-12 can go or 10 can go get somebody else. So if you're George Klyavkov, what are you trying to do to kind of maximize value in this? And again, assuming Oregon, you know, to keep Oregon and Washington put, um, what are you trying to do? Yeah, so there's definitely going to be other bidders. Um, Those other bidders may not necessarily be broad linear broadcast companies. Like I do not expect NBC to to be a player for Mm Pac-12 rights or for that matter for Big 12 rights. Um, the, the, the major players here, and Klyavkov has kind of alluded to this, are going to be either Apple or Amazon. 
mm-hmm. um, with a potential for a discovery uh, or, or, or maybe some uh, one of the linear companies that wasn't able to get in there. And the Big 12 is going to be doing the same thing here, too. And this is going to be part of the challenge for the Pac-12 presidents to find a right balance between maximizing pure financial payoff. Generally speaking, the more stuff you're willing to park on streaming, the more upfront cash you're going to be guaranteed at the expense of potential eyeballs. Mm -hmm. The other advantage for a Pac-12 president to putting stuff on Apple and putting stuff on Amazon is that you will then also maintain a lot more flexibility about kickoff times. Mm -hmm. Because while ESPN is going to be most interested in this product because they want that late night window, and that means a lot of 7 p.m. local kicks, uh, that's not something that a lot of fans like. As, as I understand it, most people would prefer a kickoff around 3.30. Uh, so yes, maybe I would. Could, yes, I would, I would definitely prefer that, yeah. Exactly, yeah. or maybe earlier, because if you're a Wazoo fan and you live in suburban Seattle, you don't want to make that, you know, you don't want to have to drive back at 4 o'clock in the morning, and there's not always a ton of hotels available locally, and it's, it's, a, it's a huge pain in the butt. Um, so potentially by putting some more things on streaming where Apple doesn't really care about the television windows, you can uh, take more control there. The disadvantage is that coaches hate that because they want to be able to sell the widest possible exposure. Um, rec- you know, recruits don't always love that, and and uh, there, there there may be some other potential challenges there as well as you're trying to grow that brand. So I don't know exactly where that line is. That's what the Pac-12 and that's what the Big 12 are both going to be doing. And if you're Klayevkov, you know, you have to, you're selling to Oregon and Washington too. Like, are we going to be the high bidder? Like, and if you know, if the Big Ten wants you, you're going to go. It's can we get as close as we possibly can to the Big 12? And then you could say, do you want to stay with people in the schools that you've had been playing for 100 years and you know you can sell tickets against and are your peer institutions or do you want to go to West Virginia? And if you can get within striking distance of that number, every one of those schools is going to say, I'd rather stay in the Pacific Northwest than go to West Virginia or go to Florida. Yeah. That kind of, uh, again, we, we dovetail all into my next questions very nicely here. So you're answering them well, and I apparently ordered them very well. Um, so we obviously, and again, you know, that news from the presidents who oversee the college football playoff last week that they want, that we are, we are, we have now made the decision for everybody. We are moving to a 12 team playoff um, as late as, I think it's 2026. So that's as late as it can happen, but they want the commissioners to try to make it happen earlier. And of course, there are going to be about a billion moving pieces. Um, on this, but how much did that help actually, you know, how much did that help George Klyavkov? Because for me, you know, if the Pac-10 gets an auto bid, if I'm Oregon and Washington, yes, the money's a lot bigger in the Big Ten, but I do not have as easy a path to the playoff. I think it's pretty undeniable that the path to the playoff is much, much easier if you stick in the Pac-10. And if you can get them to agree to some you know, unequal rev share if they get to the playoff. How much how much did that help keep the Pac Ten together and relatively stable, assuming that, you know, A, the playoff does you know, again, the playoff does expand and it does so perhaps earlier than twenty twenty six. Yeah, and this is something I want to report out a little bit more because the, the college football playoff news broke on a Friday afternoon. Yep. And it's here, you know, Tuesday around lunchtime we're recording this. I haven't had a chance to talk to people about it yet. I understand this argument. My gut is that it doesn't matter that much because mm-hmm. the the financial difference between the Big Ten and the Pac-10 is going to be so massive that an Oregon or Washington would think, I'm willing to roll the dice here knowing that it might be harder for me to go get a, a, a top four seed 
but I'm going to make $40 million more by the end of the decade. And mm-hmm. I can deploy that for the rest of my department and give myself some other stability rather than here. Now, could I see that being a big deal in the G5 world where somebody maybe potentially deciding to stay in Conference USA rather than going to the American or the Sun Belt, uh, thinking that they might have a better chance? Like, that's possible. And we don't know exactly how much money the college football playoff is going to make as an expanded entity. We don't know how right. long that deal will be. And we also don't know how the money will be distributed. Um, is it going to be uh, you know, paid out via participation? Are all the power leagues going to divide up money equally? Uh, will the power two uh, consolidate more of that money? And it, it, so like it's, it's hard to be able to really say, I think X, Y, and Z is more likely to happen because there's a lot of variables we don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I would just say I don't think that's the silver bullet that maybe an Oregon State fan would hope that it is. Or a Washington State fan. Or, yeah, I was, I was trying to pick somebody else when I'm on the air here, but no, yes. no, 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 no. I think, and it, well, no, and I think it's you know, I think it's you know, and we're we're coming to our conclusion here, but it's just it's I think it's been it's been tough to be a fan of Washington State because I think we all knew that you know this day might be coming. I just do. I just don't think you know you ever mentally prepare yourself for it. Nor did I think it was going to happen this quickly. But I know I know yeah, the thing. Good. This thing that still preaches patience because none of this stuff does happen fast because SC and UCLA were going through this for over a year by the time we all found out what was going on. Yeah. I, the, 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 the speed is a little bit of a surprise, but yeah. it, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to say that could possibly make an Oregon state no, or Washington I, state fan feel better. Right. Like, cause <laughs> because well, one of the, one of the things that's deeply frustrating, I think about conference realignment and yeah. a lot about college athletics is that this is not a meritocracy. You know, your ability to have control over your own destiny is in, is still in, in large part dictated by the kind of friends your school made 120 years ago mm-hmm. um, or where you're located, where you were born or things that you have no control over. You know, if Washington State made six Rose Bowls over the last decade, would they be in a, a slightly different position? Yeah, probably. But, you know, who, who can say that? Oregon can't say that. Washington sure as hell can't. Um, but because they're in a bigger city and because they did some things, you know, in the, in the 60s and in the 70s, that, that changes this dynamic a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I am personally pulling for both of these leagues to survive. So uh, Oregon State and Washington State aren't cast off forever. The only bit of tiny cold comfort that I could, I could possibly say is let's say the unthinkable happens. Pac-10 dissolves. Washington State and Oregon State end up in a gentrified Mountain West conference. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe maybe Cal and Stanford are in it or, or something else. Right. You know, big sky on steroids and your television payout is going to be a fifth or a quarter of what it was before. That would be that would be that would really hurt, especially for a place like Wazoo that has some debt that they have to pay off. Yep. The one silver lining is going to be if you're in that league over a 10 year period, I bet you make the playoff more often than Washington does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually had that thought of, you know, USC is going to go to the Big Ten and suddenly go eight and four and not making the playoff. And then and then Wazoo makes the playoff thing when they rip off 10 and two like they did a few years ago and they actually make it. Yeah, that would be that would be that would actually be a real I would I would be endlessly annoying on social media about that. Um, This has been. Yeah, as you should. I mean, my my doppelganger wrote this on on the athletic, right? Like. You're a fan of like an App State or, or, or a Marshall or something or a Tulane. You would have had more playoff appearances and, and plenty of power programs over the last you know, 12, 15 years. Yeah. And if you don't have to play USC anymore, 
And if you don't have to play uh, the Arizona schools and you're, you're playing New Mexico and Wyoming and, uh, and Utah State, sure. Could, could, you, could you end up 10-2 and two and could you be in contention for a Mountain West championship almost every year, at least in the short term? I would think so. Is that something that, you, that a Washington State fan would like? Uh, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how to fan. I would understand why you think that that sucks. But yes, you would have a, a more direct path to the college football postseason. Um, than, than your rich cousin. I uh, yeah, I uh, I welcome our new Boise State and Nevada Reno overlords. Um, in that case, <laughs> if it happens, Matt, this has been a really wonderful chat. I've I've had a, a great time, and this has been some great perspective. I think um, for everybody, make sure you guys um, are subscribing to Extra Points. Like I said at the beginning, it's I look forward to reading it every morning, and especially, and I'm, I'm I mean this like the A Sun Whack realignment. I remember sneaking into whack games at Idaho when Colt Brennan was the quarterback at Hawaii and just wanting to watch him sling it all over the yard. So I actually, I love whack football back when it was properly uh, the whack. So Matt, thank you so much for all of your knowledge and all of your detail here. I think this is, you know, yeah, it's tough to be a Washington State fan right now, but at least we have a pretty good idea of, of, uh, of what's going on. So thank you again. Hey, it's my pleasure. Happy to do it. You can find it, friends, at extrapointsmb.com. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, we're now going to talk about the Wisconsin... Wisconsin. I'm not editing that, Tyler Hunt, of Bucky's Fifth Quarter. I'm going to say Wisconsin Badgers uh, there correctly. Uh, Tyler's been kind enough to join us to lend his expertise uh, on the Big Ten West favorites. For this season, and Tyler, I guess uh, my first question for an opponent is always just kind of the expectations um, surrounding the season. But for Wisconsin, they've got to be pretty high because, like I said, they're the favorites in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I think going into every season, Wisconsin always feels like the the Big Ten West is is kind of something that they expect to meet every single year, and then they just hope to get over that hump that is usually Ohio State, although one time Penn State in the last few trips to Indianapolis, but. I think that is the goal for this team again. You know, once again this year, um, they've made a lot of off-season changes this past year. Uh, specifically, offensive coordinator uh, brought in a new OC and Bobby Ingram, formerly with the Baltimore Ravens, to kind of modernize the offense. As last year, it was best described by a lot of fans and people around the program as kind of stale. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisconsin kind of needed to change that up, but. Defense is still good, and if that offense can can get to where they want it to go, I think the Big Ten West is certainly something they want to, to get to and, and would expect to get to. And so far, they've looked the part, 38 points in the opener, zero points given up by the defense. So I do think they expect to be back in Indianapolis, but it should be a really competitive West all season long. I was going to say, you know, you bring in Bobby Ingram to kind of change the offense a little bit, but what what are they looking to change? Because I, I know that, you know, my stereotypical view on Wisconsin is just always that we are just going to beat the crap out of you up front and we are going to run the ball down your throat, whether you kind of want us to or not, and we are going to make sure... Uh, that we punish you on the ground is there like are, is it still a run first that we're looking at or is there are there going to be some larger changes kind of moving forward yeah i still think your your basic principles will still be the same and that wisconsin's you know first option is going to be to to run the football and as you said pound it um and and use that offensive line and, and the physical backs that they have to be a run first team i think what they're trying to get back to is similar back when paul chris was the offensive coordinator they did a really good job of being able to run the ball when they wanted to and not when they need, had to, I guess is the way to say it, is mm-hmm. that you know, last year Wisconsin 
with the struggles of Graham Mertz and, and the offense being just kind of poor, it was run on first down, run on second down. If it's third and short, run it again on third down. And if it's third and long, try and find something to, to get somebody open, but otherwise punt it and make the defense win the game. Versus this year, I think they want to try and mix that up, use that play action, you know, throw it a little bit more on mm-hmm. first and second down. And, and kind of have the choice versus, you know, the necessity of having to run it pretty much any time they, they felt uh, comfortable doing so. You mentioned Graham Mertz, and this is kind of his, his not kind of, it's his third full year uh, as the starter uh, for Wisconsin. I think, you know, I mean, a third-year starter in college these days is so rare, but kind of by year three, you, you have what I, I guess in my view would be, for any quarterback, a known commodity. You know exactly who... Graham Mertz is and I you know again watching Wisconsin from afar it's just a guy that you know it doesn't seem like he's going to make any large mistakes but it also doesn't seem like a guy who's going to win you a football go out and win you a football game would that kind of be a fair assessment of him yeah yeah I I think that's very much fair you know last year he he struggled with with um just hanging on to the football there were some really bad interceptions and fumbles especially early in the season last year had a Wisconsin had a brutal schedule to start and he certainly felt some of those growing pains. Um, so that that certainly is kind of the expectations of Mertz is that um, he, he he can if he if he loses the football he can lose you a football game. But if he he, he probably won't be the guy that's going to go out and, and win you a game. Mm-hmm. Um, although last week I, I did think he looked a lot better. Um, you know that when he started his career that COVID season against Illinois, he came out and had I think one incompletion and threw five touchdowns, and we all thought, oh my gosh. This is the guy that's going to take Wisconsin to where they've, you know, wanted to go forever with the mm-hmm. quarterback, and it's been a steady backslide since then. But I do think in the opener, granted it was an FCS opponent, and, and you got to see it consistently from him to feel good about it. But I do think he took some steps forward, and now it's just a matter of can he do that week in and week out and be mm-hmm. efficient and take care of the football and let the offense, you know, the running game and the defense win you the game, and you just kind of. I hate the word game manager or the term game manager, but kind of if he can get into that role, Wisconsin should win uh, a lot of games. Uh, Braden Allen just kind of continues that, you know, Wisconsin tradition of really good running backs. I mean, it just seems like there's never not a great running back uh, at Wisconsin. Over a thousand yards last year. On track, I'm sure, to do it again um, this year. Kind of what makes him different than your Jonathan Taylor's, your Melvin Gordon type guys? What, what kind of sets him apart from all the all the guys that we might know uh, in more recent Badger history. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting one because, you know, last year he, you know, he got to UW as, you know, a true freshman and, and they weren't really sure what position he was going to be at. Actually, at one point they thought maybe a linebacker or a safety and they said, we'll start you a running back and we'll see if it works out. And, and <laughs> clearly it worked out and he ended up in that running back room. But He's, he's an interesting player because you look at him size-wise, he's just massive for now. He's 18 years old now, but at the time last year when he started, 17 years old and just uh, physically just so big for his age. And, and that's kind of – the physicalness is certainly there, but the Melvin Gordons and the James Whites and those guys with the speed, he's got plenty of that as well. I think he compares probably most to Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say he's quite there yet because he's kind of a pretty good player in his own right at the NFL level, but – that physicalness with also a burst of speed um, is, is really what Wisconsin kind of looks for. And, and Braylon Allen certainly has that. Definitely more of a physical runner than, than a lot of those guys. But overall, kind of the same attributes that Wisconsin has had success with is guys that can 
run between the tackles and pick up three yards of, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, but also can get to the second level and really turn yeah. the Jets on and break some big runs. Who else does Washington State uh, need to be looking out for offensively? Because, you know, I think like we discussed, you know, Wisconsin's bread and butter is obviously that ground game. But um, every once in a while, they are going to have to throw the football. <laughs> so who else should uh, Washington State fans be looking out for offensively uh, when Wisconsin's got the football? Yeah, I think when you talk about you know Wisconsin trying to get this new passing game going, there it's kind of an interesting point of of this whole um, last few years because last year's three leading receivers all gone from the team, so it's a lot of newer faces at the receiving core. But the guy that did come back um, that had some production this last couple of years is a player called by the name of Chimray DK. He had a really nice um, couple catches in the opener, um, a nice long run where he got caught at the end, but then caught the touchdown, uh, the pass after. He seems to have the best kind of connection established with Mertz. They're, you know, now been working together for a couple seasons. So he's probably the the go-to guy in the passing offense. Uh, last year, you know, Jake Ferguson, who's now in the NFL, was kind of his go-to guy. He's gone, so the tight end room is kind of still in flux. So it seems mm-hmm. like Chimray DK is going to be your go-to target otherwise on the offense. Marcus Allen is another young wide receiver that I think is really going to be a guy that takes a step. So those are the two to, to really watch for in the passing game. Um, the guys that looked good in their opener and we've seen a little bit from in, in years past, but are going to have to take on a much bigger role throughout the course of this season. Mm-hmm. Let's move to the other side of the football now. And I know Bill Connolly has uh, Wisconsin's defense and his SP plus rankings at fifth uh, best in the country. That is not a surprise to me in terms of a quality defense uh, at the University of Wisconsin. But what's kind of the one thing for you, uh, Tyler, that kind of sets them apart from, I mean, not necessarily, you know, past Wisconsin defenses, but just like what makes them so effective uh, at, at, I mean, Illinois State scored no points, and I get that they're an FCS team, but that's still pretty darn impressive uh, when you're going up against any offense to just limit them to absolutely nothing uh, on the scoreboard. What makes this defense so good? It's it's a combination. I think it starts from the top. You know, I think defensive coordinator Jim Leonard is, is I think, the best defensive coordinator in the nation. He's had multiple offers for other jobs, could have taken the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator job a couple of years ago and decided to stay at Wisconsin. And he's just really done a good job of building philosophies of, of assignment football that guys can learn, get into the program, learn, and stick to where – year in and year out, you know, Wisconsin really, if you look at, you know, your Athlon magazines to start the season, Mm -hmm. they only have three returning starters on that defense, but every one of them, when you look at Wisconsin, it's still, I think, going to be a great unit because they've got guys that have been in the program and learned the fundamentals of the defense and just continues to work and work and work. I mean, the front seven has been phenomenal for seasons, um, you know, year in and year out. They just can't run the ball against them. And they, Jim Leonard just does such a great job of dialing up pressure from different areas where the pass rush is going to be there, the, the run defense is going to be there. It's just as long as the secondary can hold up enough to, to win you games. Um, but overall, it's just year in and year out. I think his philosophies at, at that defensive coordinator spot and the staff around him have done such a good job of doesn't matter what year you are, how much experience you are, when it's your turn to go, you need to be ready to go. And, and so far, they've done a mm-hmm. really good job of that year in and year out. You just mentioned it a little bit, and I, it kind of you know goes into my next question really nicely. Of if there is a weakness on this defense, what is it? So is it the secondary? Because I know you know last week for Washington State, we were kind of hoping to see a little bit more um, from Cam Ward in this offense. Uh, they struggled really at times 
against Idaho, but would you say that their passing, you know, their secondary for Wisconsin would be the the one piece of the defense that's not quite up to where maybe coaches and fans would like it to be? Yeah, I, I think if there was one thing, and, and I know it was a shutout for Wisconsin last week, so it's probably a little nitpicky, but overall, the, the secondary, specifically the cornerback room, looked really shaky in, in their week one opener against Illinois State, where just was kind of blown coverages and, and guys out of place, which is really unusual for Wisconsin. Now, I will say part of that, I think, is Wisconsin brought in three cornerbacks from the transfer portal, um, one from UCLA, one from Kentucky, and one from Toledo. It, felt, it just felt like they hadn't quite meshed together yet, along with some guys that had been in the program where it just felt like guys were out of position and, and just some blown coverages, which is odd, and hopefully that gets cleaned up for Wisconsin. But that's certainly the area that I think um, needs to be cleaned up quickly with, with Cam Ward coming at you. And then Wisconsin has Ohio State in week four, so that's going to be something to certainly watch for. And, and felt like the weakest point, which – Coming into the season, you saw all the experienced grad transfers coming in. You thought it was going to be an area of strength, and so far from what we've seen, it was a little shaky, and Wisconsin will be down one of their top secondary players, and Hunter Wohler, uh, the safety, he went down with a leg injury last week and will not be available for this week. So I think the secondary, if there's a if there's a place to, to maybe pick apart this defense a little bit, mm-hmm. it looks like at least thus far, you know, be picking on some cornerbacks that are maybe trying to still mesh with a new defense. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin is a top twenty-five team, and you got Washington State coming in. And I, I feel like I, you know, I know I, the last time these two teams played in Madison was like fifteen years ago, and and Wisconsin uh, backed out of uh, home and home, which I don't blame them for because it's hard to get to Pullman from Madison, Wisconsin. Um, but this is the front end again of another home and home. So Washington State's going to try this again. They were eleven point underdogs, and then that just shot like comically quickly up to seventeen points uh, at more, most sports books. Uh, give me your idea for how you think this football game goes uh, after 60 minutes of the clock. And I'm hoping I saw your last game was under three hours. And that's just so lovely um, in terms of time uh, to not have to deal with it for that long. But give me an idea of what you think happens uh, in this football yeah. game. Yeah, I think this game will be one that, you know, like I just said, with the with the defense and, and the secondary, maybe still trying to mesh a little bit and, and reading up for our site and kind of reading up on Cam Ward, he does look like a passer that could maybe give Wisconsin a little bit of some fits in there. So I do think you know points will be able to be scored a little bit for um, for Washington State. On the flip side, I do think Wisconsin you know is going to stick to that ground and pound game and likely try to sustain some drives and maybe keep that Cougar offense off the field a little bit. So I think in terms of a 17-point spread, I, I would probably lean towards Washington State. That feels like a lot of points. Um, you know, when we were working on some of our game predictions, I thought Wisconsin would win like 31 to 17, but I could see this one being closer and I could see this one maybe getting more blown open just depending on the, mm-hmm. the wild card with Wisconsin. And, and I know I saw on the stat sheets, Washington state had some fumbles last week. That's really the wild card with the Badgers. If they force a lot of turnovers, it can get messy. But if they commit turnovers like quarterback Graham Mertz had some last year, games can all of a sudden be way tighter and you're given short fields. So it's, it's kind of a mystery what to, what to think from what's going to be in this game, but I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated to see um, how it'll end up. But I'll go with 31-17 as my, uh, 
homework prediction for this one. Yeah, I don't. I you know losing to this UW is not nearly as bad as losing to the other one, so that's probably not <laughs> as bad of a prediction. So, that's fair. Yeah, Tyler Hunt from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, our sister site that covers uh, the University of Wisconsin Badgers. Go head over there uh, all week to get a good look. Uh, at probably the most physical team Washington State's going to play all year, uh, depending on what Lincoln Riley wants to do uh, with his Trojans later on this year. Tyler, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thunderhead of the week. I don't know if it's that I haven't been to Las Vegas like mo more recently. Um, <clears throat> I used to go a lot more frequently. Um, but at least every time I've gone, when you're placing a sports bet, uh, you know you have to, you know, you say what you want to do, and then you need to, if you check your tickets at the window. Like, you can, you can stay there, and that's fine. If they made a mistake, like, you know, I, I've had that happen before, where I, like, I look while I'm standing there, and I go, oh, hey, actually, I wanted this one the other way, and they'll fix it for you. Like, it's not a big deal as long as you don't leave. Um, we went to Emerald Queen Casino in Tacoma uh, on Monday for the Clemson-Georgia Tech game. By the way, push it real good. Um, and they have, at the front of the kiosks that are manned by a human being, um, you have a little thing that tells you, like a little screen that tells you exactly what your bet is, and then they say, does that look correct? I, again, I, I proclaim to not have been to Vegas recently enough. Perhaps they have gotten this technology. However, it would really behoove of MGM and Caesars and Sands and whoever the heck else owns hotels down there uh, to do that, so I don't have to stand there like an idiot looking at my tickets for a mistake and holding up the line. I hate it enough when people go up to the betting window and they don't have all their crap straightened out, so they stand there and they're like debating something. It's like, no, have your decisions made, go up there and do it. There is a line that is 50 people long behind you. Please, get moving. Good God. And no, I don't do the apps, I don't do the machines, I bet at the window. Okay? I'm, I am, I am old school. None of this app, I don't want to deposit money through my credit card and have it, you know, deposit it back in my bank account. That is not as, as satisfying as the ticket, and then I either get cash, or if it doesn't pay, you can rip it up. I can't tell you how cathartic that is. Anyway, Las Vegas, my Dunderhead of the Week. Please get those things at the betting windows for me, please. That would be lovely. Thank you. Just this whole, I don't see how hard it is. Like it, it makes it a lot easier. I don't need to worry about like standing there like an idiot. 
Ask Michael anything time. At WSU Brady 27 Brady, where's the next place on your travel bucket list and why? Um, Halong Bay in Vietnam has always been on my bucket list. If you haven't seen photos of it, Google it. It's H.A. Long Bay. Um, it's absolutely spectacular. And it, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, I've also, uh, would, I'd love to go on an African safari, um, at some point. Morocco is also on my bucket list to go to. I love the food, uh, and it, I follow, like, an Morocco tourism account on Instagram and everything. I mean, I know it's a tourism account, so whatever, but the whole country just looks spectacular. Uh... At CQG8606, Sean says, go Cougs. One disappears forever. Vegas trips or golf? And then Brady responds, he's going to say Vegas because he'll go to Reno. Uh, you guys listen to the show too much and I appreciate it. Uh, that is actually true. I will say Vegas because I golf enough and like, you know, it, it helps get you out of the house more regularly. It's exercise. And I, I would have a really hard time giving up golf uh, ever. So Vegas probably wouldn't be too hard. In fact, the only reason I'm going this year is because uh, Wazoo's playing UNLV. And frankly, the Arizona-Indiana game afterwards is probably what I'm looking more forward to. Um, but that's the only reason I'm going this year. Otherwise, I would not have gone this year, and I may have gone next year, if not for some other circumstances um, in the spring that I'm being unnecessarily cagey about, but we can talk about it later. Uh... <laughs> At Ether Dash, Coach Dickert era, Cougs versus everybody, does the big know how bad UCLA game attendance is? Um, they set, I think it was like, a, what, a record low against Bowling Green. Now, again, I, I okay, it was 104 degrees out. The kids aren't in school. It was at 11 a.m. I get it. But that doesn't stop me from wanting to razz them about it. Oh, my God. Guys, there's 16 million people there. What's going on? At Max Like Sports 1, Max Like Sports, you're down two on the 50 with enough time to run two plays and one timeout. What's the plan? Also, hi, Ben. Um, <clears throat> okay, I got time to run two plays. And I have a timeout. Well, I'm, I'm going to run it at least once. I think it all, I mean, like that all depends, right? Like, okay, if I pass first and I pick up enough yardage, then I can hustle up call the run, and then call the timeout to kick the field goal. Or I can run, see how I do, call the timeout, try a passing plane. If I get in field goal range, great. If not, I can try for the Hail Mary. Well, no, I guess that's two plays. Okay. I'm probably going to pass. You're going to run something, like try to get 15, 20 yards down the field to kick a field goal. Unless we're not counting the field goal as two plays. You're within the two plays here. Um, in which case, yeah, my earlier thing stands, and I've confused myself here. At Ben Wyman, Ben Wyman, our old friend uh, in Montana, what are some baby things that you and your wife bought that were lifesavers as a parent to your daughter? Asking for a new girl dad. Well, congratulations, Ben. Um, gosh, that were lifesavers. Her diaper changing pad that has like the like elevated sides was pretty huge. Um, that was, I mean, just from the standpoint of, I mean, it's still usable, so it like it still gets used. And actually, um, so we had uh, the Duna, I think is what it is. It's that car seat that also transforms into the stroller. So literally you don't have to take them out of the stroller to get them in the car seat. And you don't need to do anything other than like click a button and the wheels come down and it becomes your stroller. Now the only disadvantage is it's crap for storage. Okay, so it's not great from that standpoint. Um, 
The other thing I would say, and this isn't like a like one particular thing that's a lifesaver, but like every time you're at Target or Walmart, <clears throat> excuse me, or whatever your large box store of choice is, every one of them has like a pack of five plain white onesies for like eight bucks. Buy one. Buy a pack every single time because if your baby's really little, uh, she's going to spit up on it. She's going to poo on it. She's going to do all kinds of gross, nasty stuff on it. And you don't necessarily want to change her into like nice clothes when she's out when you can just throw this little onesie on that you paid a dollar and 30 cents for and you don't really care what happens to it. So that's what I would go with. But yeah, congratulations, Ben. That's really cool. Girls are the best. At nschulte 10 Nick, what would you, what would be your dream realistic home and home for the Cougs after Wisconsin? Well, Wisconsin hasn't come to Pullman yet. So in theory, um, if they're coming here, I wrote a while back, like, like opponents. So like East Carolina. Texas Tech, and not be not the Leech Connection thing, but like stuff like that. Um, I think if I had to say like a dream one, I mean Hawaii is always good because you get to go to Hawaii. Um, Vanderbilt, that's and actually I think Vanderbilt's pretty realistic actually too. Um, so getting to go to Nashville, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Tulane would be a good one too. Getting to go to New Orleans, I think that would be realistic um, as well. Yeah, I think those are two good ones. At PossumJ16, Kriggs, going to Madison this weekend, should we do a tour to Cheese Curds or a tour to Brats? I mean, if I gotta choose, I'm gonna go with Brats. I love it. Cheese is like, that's just gonna sit weird in you. That's way too much dairy. Okay, and I happen to know Kriggs, and I like, buddy, we're at the age where we, we gotta do the protein. We, we can't do the dairy anymore at our age. Wisconsin 28, Washington State 17. I think we're going to cover, but this is going to be a total slog fest. Um, I want the defense to stay off the field a little bit more in this game. We'll see how that happens. Talk to you next week. Preview Colorado State. We'll talk about this weekend's game as well. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Coop Center Hour, guys.